0: Well, good morning. I wanna begin this morning with a uh, a welcome to those of you who have been visiting um, our church online for the last several months. Normally at this point in our worship service, we'd have what we call gospel hospitality where we invite people to get up and greet one another in Christ and we'd pass these black attendance binders and we'd say something along the lines of, if you're visiting with our church, please give us a way to contact you because we'd love to take you out to coffee, get to know you and answer any questions you have about the life of our church. And we haven't really figured out a way in this current arrangement to do stuff like that. Um, So here's what I want to say. If you've been watching online um, or if you've joined us um, for any of our outdoor services and you are new to our church and you're kind of like, I wonder if these people even know that I'm here. The answer to that question is no, we don't, (laughs) but we want to. Um, My name is James Sutton. I'm associate pastor. You can look up on our website you'll uh, find my picture and my email address. Please send me an email. I'd love to set up a time for a phone call or a Zoom chat just to get to know you, to welcome you, um, and to answer any questions that you have about our church. Having said that, we're um, continuing our series on Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter four. We're gonna be focusing on verses eight and nine tonight, uh, although I'm gonna get a little bit of a running start on that. Last week, we looked at, um, Philippians 4. And the, the theme really was joy. Um, we really dug deep on joy. Paul Deschamps, our youth uh, director, did a great job with that sermon. This week, we're going to focus more on peace. Um, joy and peace are, are two themes that you wouldn't really expect to find uh, in a letter written by uh, a guy who's in prison. Um, and yet they're prevalent themes um, in this book. Um, And as Paul mentioned last week, they're prevalent themes because Jesus is the primary theme. Jesus, of course, is the source of all our joy and our peace. Um, But boy, is this a good time for a sermon on peace, right? Uh, We're living in times of high anxiety, really high anxiety. Uh, Normally we'd be coming at this passage and we'd be comparing ourselves to Paul and we'd be saying, yeah, yeah, we really can't compare to what life is like in, in prison uh, you know, being kind of chased around, um, well, we, we maybe feel like we can compare a little bit ourselves a little bit more with Paul right now than, than normally. Um, I, I mean, just to consider some of the things that are pressing in on us, of course, the, the virus is, is bringing lots of anxiety. Um, if you haven't been feeling that, you maybe aren't a human being, I I don't know. I mean, the, the illness, the sickness, the death the economic instability, the job security concerns, the way that this has impacted the rhythms of our daily lives. Um, I mean, what is gonna happen with schools? That's what I wanna know. Please, Lord, um, let me know what's happening with my children. Um, It's creating all kinds of anxiety (laughs) uh, for us, all of these different dynamics. And then, of course, there's the the rampant racial injustice that's coming uh, to the forefront of our minds. Um, and just the the stress that that's causing, um, just years and years of racial injustice and uh, and the tension um, that's being expressed. and And just what do we do about that, right? Like just seeing kind of the hurt and the damage that's caused just it, it just moves up your spine, doesn't it? Um, then there's there's the division that just we experience, whether that's division within our politics, division within, Um, our media branches, division uh, within uh, and around the world, um, division on what exactly to do about the virus, division even in our homes and in our conversations uh, about what's going on in our daily lives. Or perhaps it's other things. Perhaps it's just anxiety from loneliness or anxiety from not being able to get outside. Kids, are you sick of being cooped up in your homes? Are you ready? to see your friends, um, we all are. Or maybe it's murder hornets or Saharan dust clouds or the fact that hurricane season is here or, uh, or whether the, maybe it's just the fact that we don't have professional sports to keep our minds off of all of these things. We're, we're living in a time of incredible anxiety. Um, anxiety is an attacking enemy that's kind of relentless. It, it feels like wave after wave of thing that just kind of rips you apart. And in fact, if you go back to verse 6 in the passage I'm about to read, um, you know, where it says, be anxious for nothing, the root of the word anxious there can literally be translated being torn apart, ripped in two. So let's look at this text um, because we need to be reminded of peace. We need to be reminded of the hope that we have in the gospel in response to this wave after wave of attacking anxiety. Let's listen to these words. I'm going to start in verse 6 of chapter 4 and go through 9. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, which you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray real quickly. Lord God, this passage tells us to not be anxious, but to come before you with supplication and thanksgiving and prayer laying our requests before you, Lord, we request, Lord, that you would face all of the things that cause us stress and anxiety in our current situation. Would you address the illness and sickness around the world? Would you address the division? Would you address the injustice? Lord, would would you transform our current reality uh, to a reality where we we could get some semblance of peace, but Lord, even in the midst of this, Lord, we give you thanks because we know that you're a God who works all things for our good and your good purposes. And so, Lord, we trust that you are at work. We pray that you'd be working this morning through your word as we look at this text. Lord, remind us of your great power. Remind us of your um, loving presence Lord, use this word to encourage us, to strengthen us, and to build us up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So anxiety, it is this ever-attacking enemy that wants to tear you apart. But the amazing thing about this passage, the beautiful thing about this passage, is that there's great hope here. I want you to look really closely at verses 7 and 9. Verse seven talks about the peace of God. Verse nine talks about the God of peace. And, and in verse seven, it says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace of God and this God of peace serve as a guard, a protection against the anxiety, the waves of anxiety that that this world wants to throw at you. That's a real stark military kind of image. Um, Think about that for just a second. Think about having a guard that is essentially a decree of God. God has declared his peace upon you and that is meant to protect you from all of the things that you might worry about in this world, all of the things that might threaten to tear you apart. His declaration is the same kind of declaration like the let there be light that brought light into existence. It's that powerful. That is your guard on one hand. That is your guard, the peace of God. On another hand, it's also the God of peace, right? It's not just that proclamation, but it's him himself who is near you. You know, I could maybe illustrate this a little bit. Think about it this way. You know, when I first bought our house, the previous tenants had an alarm system. And so there was a sign in the front yard that, hey, this house is protected by ADT, or I can't remember what the alarm company was. But I had that, that sign in my front yard, but I didn't have an alarm that was active in the house. Um, not until several years later when we had a couple of break-ins, despite the sign that we actually got the the actual alarm company to activate the actual alarm system. All of a sudden that that sign, you know, was a lot more meaningful. It wasn't just a proclamation. Um, It was backed by a presence of a voice that would come through a box if any door was open that shouldn't be open. Um, This is the reality for us as Christians. We have not only received a declaration of peace. God has not only declared his peace upon us, but he himself, the God of peace has drawn near to us to ensure that peace. We not only have his declaration, we also have his presence. And really one is as good as the other, but but we have both. You could think about this in theological terms of, you know, kind of justification and adoption. Not only has God declared us just, but he's adopted us into his family. Our experience of his peace is the same way. It's, it's been declared. We we are defended. We are a part of his protection. We are a part of the force field of his kingdom. We are marked by the peace of the kingdom of God. And inside of that force field is the God of peace himself backing it up. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful reminder. And, and we can go because of his proximity. We can go to him in prayer, um, but we are in effect citizens of this new kingdom and we're to live like it. This passage lays out um, essentially two things in addition to prayer that are, um, that are really marks of believers who are part of God's kingdom. Maybe could think of them as, as disciplines of peace from those who are part of the kingdom of peace. Uh, Those of you who are graduates like me of NC State, you're going to love these two points. Uh, The two points laid out, these are the two things, the two disciplines, if you will, of peace in this passage in verses 8 and 9, in addition to prayer, which was mentioned in verse 6 and 7, are these two things, think and do, right? It's the NC State motto. So isn't that encouraging NC State People that, you know, when we get to the kingdom of God, there'll be banners just like at NC State that say think and do um, because those are the disciplines of peace, the marks of those who are in the kingdom of peace. Well, let's look at those two. um, Let's look at those two this morning. First of all, is think, the discipline of think. That's in verse eight. Let me read it again. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. That word "think" uh, is the the word the Greek word "logizomai," which means essentially to dwell, meditate on, or soak in. It's it's a very active verb, um, so it's not just like you know have these passing thoughts. It's a dig deep. It's it's a soak in. It's a it's a really kind of dive deep on these ideas. Kind of a command, um, and so. You know, it's this is not Paul just saying, Hey, you know, here are these, these passing thoughts that should be passing through your mind. He's saying, actively, if you want to be a part of the the discipline of being a part of the kingdom of peace, then you need to dig deep on these concepts. You need to really think about these things. And and the list and really their opposites, it really gives you a sense of not only how this is a mark of those who are at peace, but it's also a a revealing kind of exercise to think about their opposites in how actually gravitating towards these things are a discipline of peace, they can give you peace. So let's look at a couple of them um, a little bit in depth. First of all, the first one on the list is, you know, whatever is true. Think about whatever is true, right? Um, You know, if you think about the opposite of truth, it's, it's lies one of those things produces anxiety. (laughs) It's not the truth. It's lies. One of those things are the kind of thing that is produced by anxiety. It's not the truth. It's lies. And, And in fact, you can kind of see this as it plays out in our understanding as Christians, right? What we proclaim as the truth, what Christians proclaim as the truth is an actual set of ideas that will reduce anxiety in comparison to anything else that the world has to offer. So let's just take, for example, naturalistic atheism, right? Naturalistic atheism says that the truth is you just were random. You just happened to exist. You just kind of, there's no purpose to you. It just kind of happened accidentally, and here you are. There's no real clear morality that guides the universe. It's just kind of whatever... You know, whatever kind of you need to do to survive, that's the real driving um, morality of the universe. So, you know, anything that threatens your survival, you've got to really fight and it's really up to you. you you've you got to do it, you've got to achieve it. You've got to fight off all of the things that might kill you. And by the way, eventually you will die, it's inevitable. And when you die, there's nothing. Doesn't that make you feel better? <laughs> um, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. Be- Because the Christian truth is the truth that produces uh, a lack of anxiety. Think about this all of the opposite of what I just said. You have a purpose, you were designed, you're loved. Your actions matter. You're so loved that God gave up His Son to die for you. Even the circumstances that you find yourself in are the things that God is using for your good everything happens because of his purpose and plan. And it's all going to work out. And when you do die, that's gain, as Paul says. That's going to be marvelous, amazing, wonderful. That is when the actual peace <laughs> that that you, you can't even possibly comprehend will be fully experienced. That's the truth that Paul is inviting us to think about. If you want to, Practice the discipline of peace. Start meditating on the truth of the gospel. Start meditating on the truths of scripture. Allow those things to need that peace into your heart. Soak in that. Soak in it and be relieved by it. You know, the secular world in all of its anti-anxiety kind of literature, it moves straight to practice. It says, you know, Instead of thinking about things, what you should just do is, you know, start doing some breathing exercises, right? Because the the theory goes essentially, right, that anxiety is kind of like a result of an evolutionary process. You're getting tense because there's a threat. So you need to trick your body into relaxing. Start breathing deeply. There's no threats. There's nothing to worry about. It's essentially a a denial, a, a lie. Paul says you need to let your mind gravitate as a discipline of peace towards the things that are true because that is a mark of the kingdom of peace, the God of peace who has proclaimed peace upon you. Look at the second thing on the list. Honorable. Whatever is honorable. <laughs> Think about the opposite of honor, right? Is shame. Shame produces a lot of anxiety. Do you have any shame? Remember that in the kingdom of God, there is no shame. Jesus Christ wipes away all of our shame. He forgives us of all of our sins and clothes us in his righteousness. There's nothing but honor for us in the kingdom of God. Those who have repented and turned to Christ, we are given his honor. Think about those things. Allow the reality of the honor you're given in Christ to ease the tension in your back. Shame will tear you apart, but the honor of Christ will put you back together. What about the next thing? Just. Whatever is just, justice. Oh man, could we talk about justice? The gospel teaches that God will ultimately make right all anxiety-producing wrongs. We live in a world of great injustice. If you... Haven't gotten that. You've been hiding under the rock. Uh, There are injustices all around us, all kinds of injustice, racial injustice, all kinds of injustice surround us, pervades us. It's like all everywhere in this world, but the kingdom of God God is a place of justice. It's a place where every wrong is made right. Paul's not saying, "Hey, so so shut out the world, forget about the injustice out there, don't engage with it. Just just fix your mind is to like close your eyes and think about, you know, the justice of God. No, he's saying, think about the fact that God himself, who is just, will not allow these injustices that exist to exist forever. Think about what is just. Think about God's justice and the fact that he will bring that justice someday. <laughs> right? That he is working towards that, that that is the truth, right? Think about that justice, not some kind of like relativistic kind of justice, but the absolute justice of God. Think about that. Those are the sorts of things that are going to produce peace. Because when you think about the fact that God is just, that he's the one that's going to bring all this about, you can relax. Like, gosh, man, How much tension do we have trying to figure out all of the world's injustices when we need to look to the one just God who is our only hope at experiencing justice? We could go through the rest of this list, Pure, whatever's pure. God removes all anxiety producing spots and blemishes. He he removes our blemishes and gives us purity. We could look at lovely. God removes the grotesques and replaces it with beauty, right? And not just a skin deep beauty, but a a real beauty. Think about Isaiah 57. How beautiful are the feet of him on the mountain who brings good news. The gospel is good and beautiful. And and it, it even beautifies feet, there's nothing in the Jewish mind that's more dirty and grotesque than feet, right? And yet that passage is talking about how through God's work, this, this amazing beauty of the gospel, this good news comes even through feet. There's, there's this beauty that exists for us in the gospel, Think about that. Think about whatever is commendable. God shields any blame and damnation and replaces it with condemnation and reward. Those of us who are sinners can get in Christ. When we get to heaven, what is it that he says to us? Well, good done, my good and faithful servants. Ah, think about that. Think about anything of excellence and worthy of praise. God removes all the worthless and replaces it with inestimable excellence. These are Good things to think about. He removes the disdain and replaces it with praise and rejoicing. Now, these things, we could preach an entire sermon series on these things, right? We totally could. Each one. In fact, you know, I kind of want to. You don't want me to, but I kind of want to. (laughs) Um, there's, There's a sense, though, in which these things represent a grid into heaven into king, into the kingdom, right? It's when, when Paul says, fix your eyes on, on the heavenly places where Jesus is seated, right? These things get us there. They help us to fix our eyes there. But there's also a sense in which this is a grid or a, a window to Christ himself. Each of these things kind of give us a, a different angle, a slightly different viewpoint on who Jesus is. Think about that. He's our truth. He's our honor, he's our justice, he's our purity, he's our beauty, he's our commendation, he's our excellence and our worth. Thinking about these things not only give us a view into heaven, but they give us a view into Christ. And they do bring about peace. They are marks of peace and they're a discipline of peace. Thinking about them helps us to, to not only know the peace of God, right? Not only to realize what that is like, what that kingdom looks like, but also gives us the God of peace in Christ Jesus. A a very fresh look at him. Him who was torn apart, who sweat blood, who cried out on the cross in, in utter terror because he was being torn apart for you so that you could be made whole think about these things we're inundated by all kinds of ways and messages and 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 we're pushed all the time to think about the anxieties of the world but where are you taking time to stop and soak to 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 wrestle with to meditate on these truths the the thing is like you need to (laughs) We need to do this as a discipline of being a part of the kingdom of peace. I'd encourage you just this week, take one of these each day this upcoming week and journal about them or, or spend some time praying uh, uh, about them or, or talk with someone. Get on the phone and call someone and say, hey, I just want to talk about what's true <laughs> for a little while, that what we know, and allow your soul to be nourished about that. Second discipline of peace that's here is discipline number two is, is to go with the think. There's also the do this is in verse nine. Um, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. All right. Um, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. What are the things that they had learned and received? Well, Paul taught a lot about a lot of things right? We have a lot of his teachings in the New Testament. Um, in fact, a lot of the New Testament is made up of Paul's teachings, right? Uh, so those are his teachings. And, and in essence, the application for us is we think about what we have been taught. We think about the teaching of scripture, right? Uh, these are the things that we can read and we can comprehend and we can, we can understand. We can learn them, right? We can learn the teachings of scripture. That's what I'm doing. I'm teaching scripture, right? And then there's the received part, which kind of implies more than just a cognitive knowing, but uh, a a kind of heart level adoption, right? Things that you have learned and received, things you have kind of taken into uh, your heart, right? Um, So you've learned them and you've received them. So these things that they've learned and received from Paul right? These are the things that they are to practice, right? Suffice to say, by the way, that this list that I just read has all kinds of radical implications on how you live your life. Truth, honor, justice, purity, beauty, love, commendation, excellence, praiseworthiness. Those are, uh, there's some some implied kind of directives, right? The fact that you want to think about what's true means you should probably be honest. The fact that you want to think about what's pure is you should probably be Pure. You should pursue purity. The fact that you think about justice, you probably should pursue uh, justice. Right? These are these are the things, the values that you've learned and received, right? Uh, but Scripture is full of these things, and so he's talking about the 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 bulk, of the whole of his teaching, right? Um, and we need to focus on the whole of the Bible's teachings. We need to learn it and receive it, not just understand it, but to digest it and to bring it into our hearts. But he also says, not only just what you learned and received, but also what you heard and you saw, what you have heard and seen in me, he says. There's a relational component to this stuff that he's talking about that we should practice, right? We talk a a lot about the relational component and the importance of relationships in this church. We have a rich community. We talk about community groups and the importance of being in community and rubbing shoulders with other Christians. Um, We talk a lot about discipleship. That's what Paul's talking about here. He didn't just send in distance learning packages, some sort of online downloadable content. The information that um, he wanted the Philippian church to digest, he went there. He lived amongst them. They they heard and they saw him. He, they are his disciples in the same way that that he was discipled by others. And and ultimately, we're all disciples of Christ. There's there's a there's a relational component to this. He's saying you've you've heard and you've seen it, and if. And and most of us, we, we can point to people in the church that have come alongside of us, that we've rubbed shoulders with, that have taught us, that have helped us, that have discipled us. If you don't have a relationship like that, I'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to get in one of our community groups or to involve yourself with other believers in our church, because that's incredibly important. But here's the thing. All of this in this passage is past tense. He's saying, You learned it and you received it. You heard it and you saw it. That's past. And now what should you do? Practice these things, present tense. You know, there there is a sense in which I think all of us want to learn more and and receive more. Um, And all of us feel very ill-equipped to do anything. I often think about the... um, uh, the fact that like, man, I'm not the smartest cookie in the drawer. <laughs> you know, I think about my 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 preaching, even the way I do ministry, I kind of often have the thought, man, I just need to go back to seminary for another several years and really soak up more of this stuff before I try to do this. All of us, feel that way. So many people come to our church having been raised in the church, having experienced great mentorships and they, they they come to me first off and they say, you know what I really need, pastor, is a mentor. I can't really serve right now, but I need somebody to pour into me. I need a mentor. That That's the posture. Paul is, Paul is saying that's not it. It is good to have discipleship. It is good to learn and to receive and to study all of those things, but you've also got to do. You can't just... You can't just receive, you've also got to go. You've got to do these things. And, yeah. you know, I often hear this argument, you know, hey, really, there's a head, heart, hand dynamic. I really need to digest this teaching. It needs to filter down into my heart before I act. And oftentimes that's how things work. And that's that's right, that's fine. But, you know, I can't help but wonder sometimes if our hearts wouldn't be transformed some if we actually took stuff that was available in our head and we actually went to try it and the experience of trying it and and maybe the results of that experience might transform some of our hearts. You have to act. Paul certainly experienced that. You think about this. Like think about all the crazy stories Paul would have. Man, if you were sitting down for a beer or coffee with Paul and you're just, man, tell me some of your stories. Yeah, tell me about that time you got stoned and people thought you were dead and you, know, and you just kind of popped up and went right on back into the city, right? Uh, tell me about that time you were shipwrecked. That had to be crazy. How did that work out, right? I can't help but think that all of these experiences of the Apostle Paul, these crazy experiences helped to bring near to him the reality of the presence of the God of peace because he had to feel not qualified. He had to feel not ready. He had to feel at times like, man, I don't know what's going to happen. And the fact that God worked through that had to reassure him, that experience had to reassure him that, hey, God is with me. And that's what this passage says. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So I want to issue this challenge just in closing this morning. I double dog dare you. I double dog dare you to pick any imperative of scripture and just try it. Just try it. In fact, pick the one that scares you the most. Probably as soon as I said that, something popped into your mind. There's something that you know scripture teaches that you're supposed to do that you're just holding back on because you're scared. You're afraid of what that's gonna look like. It causes you anxiety to think about doing whatever this command is. Whatever that is, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's sharing the gospel. That's something that causes a lot of anxiety for a lot of us. Maybe it's re-engaging with that person whom you've had conflict with that you've just totally given up on. Maybe it's giving generously to the poor. Maybe you can't stand to think about giving up the security that comes from your finances. I'm talking about like real generosity, generosity that hurts. Maybe that's, that's it. Maybe it's going to a church plant leaving the safety of a large group of Christians and going out on the frontier with a small group. Maybe it's reengaging in a battle with sin that you've given up on. Maybe it's becoming public with the fact that you're a Christian in a world that increasingly is questioning whether Christians are good or worth spending time with. Move out of the comfort and try to form a relationship maybe with someone of another race. Maybe instead of just talking about racial injustice, maybe it's time to move towards trying to do something about it. And not just from a platform of wanting things to change, but from a platform of the gospel. Try something. Maybe it's making a risky sacrifice for the sake of someone else. Those opportunities come up often. You know, it's interesting to note that the most frequent command of scripture is to not be afraid. (laughs) Maybe it's that one. Maybe it's time that you spend some time thinking about the truths of Scripture, acting based on the truths of Scripture and allowing the God of peace and the peace of God to move into those moments in such a way that reassures you. You know, I think that that command, the Don't be afraid is repeated so often in scripture because God wants that in our ears. He wants us going as though he's right next to us. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. I myself, the God of peace will defend you, protect you. My peace has been declared on you. Go, be not afraid. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.